going to ask you to take your Bibles or your bulletins and look with me at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I'm actually just going to be reading verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6 for us today. We are continuing in our study this summer of the Lord's Prayer, this model that Jesus gave his disciples for how we should pray. Uh, we talked last week about the fact that this is a command from Jesus, it's not a suggestion. Uh, and we looked last week just at the very beginning, the so what's sometimes referred to as the preface to the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. And we were reminded of the fact that we have a God who allows us to call him Father, who delights in that. And through the gospel, we have the privilege of calling him our Father. We have that intimate relationship with him. But we also reminded ourselves that he is the God who is in heaven. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who is other from us. He is, he is not us and not like us, but we also remembered that he is our father and the unity that we have in being able to go to him together. Today, we're going to be start looking at what comes next in the Lord's Prayer, which are six petitions, uh, three of which are oriented towards the Lord and three of them are oriented toward ourselves. And I want you to be thinking about these six petitions as categories. As we go through the rest of the summer thinking about these petitions, these are categories, they're, they're, uh, they're things that we ought to be praying for, categories of prayers that we should make as God's people. So listen as I read to you from chapter 6, verse 9. This is Jesus speaking. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray together. Father, we do come before you and we are so thankful that we have the access to you through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his work on the cross. We thank you for his sacrificial death. We thank you for his grace and mercy to us. We thank you so much that we have the privilege of reading your word. And we pray that as we read it and study it now, that you would open our eyes and our hearts and help us to see wonderful things from it. Teach us what we need to be taught. Help us to see what we need to see. May we give you praise and glory as a result. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when Stephanie and I were pregnant with our first child, Mackenzie, uh, we uh, somehow came across a number of volumes of books, either from the library or people gave them to us or we bought them. Uh, they were just books full of baby names. Uh, some of you have seen those. Uh, they're usually pretty thick. I don't even know if they're still around anymore, but the ones we had were pretty thick. 10,000 names or 20,000 names or whatever that you would pour over and try to decide what you're going to name your child. And we did that as well. We opened those books. We looked through them. We talked about uh, what we were going to name our first child. And uh, it's interesting, interesting just to think about that as a process. It's very different than it would have been done during the times of the Bible. As we were going through the process of choosing names, we were thinking about uh, what name we liked. What name we thought would sound good with the last name Harper, combined with a middle name, perhaps. We just came up and you know, would scroll through the books and come up with various ideas, and we would settle on a name. But that's actually very different than how things were done in biblical times. Back in the, Bible, the time of the Bible, names almost always were chosen to give a particular description of the person. There was something about the name that connected with the person or help to describe what God was doing in that person's life. And let me just give you a couple of examples. Adam, his name in Hebrew actually is very close to the meaning of man or mankind. You see how that obviously makes sense. Or Eve, uh, her name means life giver 
or life itself. Or you could even think of uh, Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham, which meant the father of a multitude, because that's what God was going to be doing through him. Or we could think of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, because he would become the father of what would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And some of you may be thinking about coming up with a new name for a child on the way, perhaps, and let me give you one that you could, you could think about. Uh, you could think about Isaiah's, one of Isaiah's son's names, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Now, before you get too attached to that name, uh, let me just tell you what it meant. meant. Uh, that was the name that God called uh, Isaiah to name his child because it meant the spoil speeds away or quickly to the plunder. And it was a picture of what was going to happen very soon as the Assyrians would come and plunder God's people. Names were more than just a label in the Bible. They were often a very true description. They revealed something about the lives or the destinies or the character of the one that got the name. That's why God revealed several different names for himself to, uh, to his people in the scriptures. We hear the name Yahweh and El Shaddai and Adonai and Elohim and Jehovah Jireh. Each name that he gave was important. It, it revealed something about God's nature, about God's character, about who God was. So when Jesus comes to the Lord's Prayer and teaches his disciples how they're supposed to pray, and he comes to the very first petition and he says something about God's name, we better pay attention. It must be something that's important. The first petition, hallowed be your name. We better understand what that means. We better learn about the ways that we fail to do that well, and we better learn how we should do it. So that's what we're going to look at today. We'll look at what this means. We'll look at when we should do it, how we fail to do it, and then ways that we can do it better. So first of all, what does it mean? We need to understand just what the words mean. What does hallow mean? It's a word that we don't use very often. It comes from an old English word. And it meant, it means to treat something or to regard something as holy. To give praise and honor and to glorify something. It meant to, if you hallowed something, it meant that you were making something the very most important thing in your life. It meant that something had the supreme value in your life. It had the highest value in your life. It was the most beautiful thing to you. It was the idea to have something that was so important to you that without it, life wasn't even worth living. That's what it means to hallow something. We're told that we're supposed to hallow, or that the, 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 what is to be hallowed here is the name of God. And as we said just a minute ago, names in the Bible meant so much more than just what you called someone or a designation. A name pointed to one's character, to one's essence, to something that was important about them. God's name was not just the specific titles that he gave his people to call him. And when Jesus is saying, hallowed be God's name, he's saying, may God himself be praised and honored and glorified. The very essence of who God is, his nature, his character, his attributes the Westminster Larger Catechism question talking about what does this petition mean says that to hallow, to hallow God's name is to acknowledge and to, to highly esteem God, his titles, his attributes, his ordinances, his word, his works, and whatsoever he is play, pleased to make himself known by. It is a prayer for God's name, for God's himself to be the, for God himself to be the most important, 
most beautiful, most weighty thing in our life. It is a prayer for God to be so important to us that we could lose everything else in life and still be okay. But I want you to notice, before we move on, I want you to look look carefully at what Jesus says about this prayer. Notice, he does not technically say that we are called to spend time praising and honoring and glorifying God. Now, that's true. We are. But that's not precisely what Jesus says here. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's actually a very interesting construction of words there. Hallowed be. In the Greek, it is a passive imperative. Now think about that for a second. A command that's passive. In other words, it happens outside of us. What is being said here is that Jesus is saying that we should pray to God and ask God to hallow his name, to hallow himself in the world. Now, of course, we are supposed to praise God and to honor God and to glorify God. But this particular uh, petition and command here is a reminder that God doesn't need us to do that. Because of who God is, because of him being who he is as the creator of the heavens and the earth, of, of the Lord God Almighty, he doesn't need anybody to give him glory and honor because he will get it himself. And Jesus is reminding us of that truth with this petition. We are to pray for God to hallow his own name. God's going to get his glory from his creation, from his angels, both past and present, uh, uh, his people, both past and present. Eventually, all people will bow before him. But what a wonderful truth this is that he gives us the privilege of participating in praising his name above all else. So what hallowed be your name means is that we are praying for God and all of who he is to glorify himself in all of creation for all time. That God, by his holy and sovereign power and majesty, would work all things in creation such that he gets all glory and praise. That God would cause his name to be revered and praised and glorified by all. That God and his word would be believed and loved and glorified and enjoyed forever. That's what it means when we pray, hallowed be your name. I want you to notice also when we're supposed to do it. Of the six petitions that Jesus gives after he announces that we are praying to our Father in heaven, he gives six petitions. Of the six petitions, which one is this? It's the first one. In other words, before everything else, Glory and honor and praise is to be given to God. That comes before the prayer for God's kingdom to come. It comes before the prayer for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It comes before the prayer for us to have our daily bread, for us to get our provisions. It comes before the prayer for God to forgive us of our sins. It comes before the prayer for God to lead us out of temptation and to deliver us from evil. In other words, before anything, before all things, even before we bring our, our requests and our needs before our, heaven, our, our Father in heaven, we are to pray for his name to be hallowed. Why is it first? It's because that's what God deserves. It is because God is first and foremost. 
And when his glory and his honor come first in our lives and first in our prayers, then all of our other petitions and prayers are put into their proper perspective. Then all of our needs and provisions and concerns and problems and joys, everything is put into its proper perspective and order. It is to come first. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the more that we reflect on that, the more that we meditate on that, the more we realize all the ways we fail to do this well. We fail to praise and honor and to glorify the Lord first. Our orientation is almost always focused on what we want and what we need, and even for good things like provision and bread and forgiveness. How infrequently we begin our prayers focused on the honor and the glory and the weightiness and the praise that God himself deserves. How infrequently do we pray about his titles and attributes and ordinances and word and works and whatsoever he is pleased to make himself known by. And I want you to think about how different our lives would be and how much more peace we would have in life if we first and foremost spent time focused on asking God to glorify and to honor, uh, to honor his name above all things. If we first and foremost spent time focused in prayer on glorifying and praising and reverencing God, how would our lives be ordered differently? Not only do we fail to do this first, we hallow many other things before God. Remember, to hallow something means to treat something or to regard something as holy, to give praise and honor and to, to glorify something, to make something the most important thing in us, to make it the most weighty thing in our life, to make it the most beautiful thing to us, to have something that is so important in our life that we could lose everything else and still be okay. And I want you to think about all of the things that we do that with other than God. Our children can very easily become the most important thing in our life. That thing which, if we lost everything else, but our children were still in the, the place and the kind that we wanted them to be, we would be okay. Our vocations or our career. Our own name and recognition. Our financial security. Our health our comfort, pleasing others, our freedom, our spouse, our sexuality. The Bible has a name for the things that we put in place of the Lord God Almighty, the things that we hallow more than God. They're called idols. And as has been said in history, our hearts are like idol factories. We can turn almost anything into an idol. So I want you to take a moment and to reflect, what are, the, what are the things in your life? What are the things in your life that you tend to hallow more than you worship and praise God? Whatever it is, whatever you are putting first before praise and honor to God, it is as if you are saying, hallowed be my children. Hallowed be my career. Hallowed be my finances. Hallowed be my comfort. We fail to do this well when we misuse and take God's name in vain. Literally, when we use God's name as an expletive, as we curse, or maybe even just as an exclamation, 
where we take God's name and we use it in a way that is not intended by the Lord God Almighty. But not only just literally do we do that, remember that God's name includes all of his titles and attributes and ordinances and word and works. When we profane and disrespect God's attributes, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness, then we are not hallowing God's name. When we neglect and misuse the word of God, whether we use it to defend things that are not true or right, or whether we don't take it seriously, whether we fail to read it and to study it, whether we criticize it, whether we fail to believe what it says and obey what it tells us to do, we are failing to hallow God's name. When we misuse and mistreat God's work, his creation, we are failing to hallow God's name. We know that well-known phrase, stop and smell the roses. There's some truth to that. If what we mean by that is that we ought to stop and actually be intentional and conscious about looking and seeing God's glory in the beauty of his creation. also a call for us to be good stewards with his creation. And when we fail to do that, we are failing to hallow God's name. When we fail to treat human life as holy from conception to the grave, when we fail to treat people with the dignity that they deserve as image bearers of the creator, when we mock them or we lie about them or we fail to protect their good name and their reputation or when we show contempt for them or disrespect them or belittle them, we are failing to hallow God's name. And we can fail to hallow God's name also by failing to rest and worship on the Lord's day. It's when we fail to acknowledge and to participate in the God-given rhythm to our week. If you thought about it that way, that the reason why we have our lives structured and the rhythm that we have in life is because that's how God has wired his creation. There is a need for us to rest and to worship on a regular basis. When we think that we know better than God about needing a day every week to rest and to worship him, we are failing to hallow God's name. When we neglect and we misuse the ordinances that God has given to us for our good and our strengthening and our perseverance, as we neglect both private and corporate worship, as we neglect the sacraments, as we neglect prayer and the word that is read and studied and preached, then we are not hallowing God's name. We know that God has given us many vocations within our church family in this community that necessitate working occasionally on the Lord's Day. There are provisions for that in the scriptures. But when we cross the line and failing to rest and to worship in God's given rhythm to our lives becomes our norm and we easily neglect it and we regularly replace it with entertainment and recreation and indifference, then we are failing to hallow God's name. We're failing to hallow God's name as the one who created all things and purposefully built the need for rest and worship into the rhythm of our lives. Well, how can we do a better job of of hallowing God's name? Maybe you heard the story uh, just a couple of weeks ago of Julia Jankowski. Julia Jankowski had quite a surprising experience a couple of weeks ago. She went to her local bank uh, to the ATM at her local bank in Largo, Florida, and she went to go withdraw some money. She needed to get $20 out of the ATM, and so she went to her her normal bank, uh, the normal ATM, 
and she decided that she better check the balance on her checking account before she pulled the money out. She was only going to take $20 out, but she wanted to make sure that there was enough money in the account to do that. She wasn't entirely sure, so she decided to get the balance first, and she was absolutely shocked when she got the receipt, and it showed that she had a balance of $999,985,855.94. Now, in case you're not, uh, didn't catch that, that's a little bit shy of $1 billion was her account balance. She was horrified. She was horrified because she knew it wasn't hers. And, and she knew that it didn't belong to her and she didn't know what to do. She actually tried to get in touch with the bank. It was a weekend and so she couldn't get in touch with anybody in person. Uh, actually, before that, she, she decided that before she would try to contact the bank, she'd go ahead and try to get her $20 out of the account. And when she did that, she actually got a note from the ATM that said that if she threw, withdrew the $20, it would be an overdraft on her account. So she was even more confused. She tried to contact the bank throughout the weekend and couldn't get through to a person. And so she decided to go in on Monday morning to talk to somebody. And they found out that it was obviously a mistake, but it was actually something that the bank did intentionally. She and her husband had a joint account, and her husband had just died. And so this was a security measure the bank did where they would just give somebody an account balance that was absolutely ludicrous so that it would raise flags, and then they could make the changes to the account. And actually what she found out was it wasn't a positive $1 billion balance. It was a negative $1 billion balance. Now, can you imagine that? If you leave here this afternoon and go to your bank and you put your code in and out comes a balance of a billion dollars. Can you imagine, just for a moment, how empowering that would feel? Can you imagine the, the, the sense of access that you have at that very moment to wealth and to power? If you're here and you are a brother and sister in Christ, then I want you to recognize that you have access to something far, far greater. Do you really believe that, that we have access to the Lord God Almighty? Think of that, the creator of all things, the creator of the universe, of the heavens and the earth. He has revealed himself to us. He has told us who he is. He has given us his name. He has told us about his attributes. He has explained what he is like, what his very essence is like. He has revealed to us what he has done, the beauty of his creation and the grace of redemption that he has accomplished. He didn't have to reveal any of that to us. He didn't have to let us know who he was or give us any kind of understanding, but he has done that. He has given us access to him and it is a privilege and a blessing and a responsibility to know him and to understand him and to hallow his name. So two ways that we can be doing that better as we leave today. The first is this, and this is an idea I borrowed from one of the commentators that I was looking at this past week. It's the idea of a pendulum swinging. You know what a pendulum is? It's a weight that's hung from a fixed point so that it can swing back and forth freely. Our prayers, our lives should be like a pendulum as we think about, on the one hand, the holy, sovereign, almightiness of God and on the other hand, his grace and mercy to us through the gospel. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. We have access to God as a Father. He is the one who has given us the, the privilege of calling him Abba. 
He has given us that because of his love for us and the intimacy of what he has done through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's also the God in heaven. He is the other one. He is separate from us. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. You see the pendulum swinging from our father to a father that is in heaven. Or even just the phrase we're looking at today, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, holy, set apart praised beyond all things because he is above all things. He is the one whose attributes far exceed anything that we can imagine. And yet he's given us his name. He's given us access to him. This is the pendulum that swings back and forth. He is the holy, glorious, perfect Lord God Almighty in all of his attributes and works. He is the most high and rightly feared and worshiped and praised God. And he is gracious From the very beginning, he has worked his plan of redemption, coming in the person of Jesus Christ, living a life of perfect love and obedience to the law, and then willingly and lovingly giving his life to pay for our sins, to remove our debt and to credit us with a perfect and unblemished righteousness for all eternity. He is the one who has secured an eternal inheritance for us such that it can never fade or tarnish or perish. Do you see how the pendulum swings from one side to the other as we reflect and meditate on the holiness and the sovereignty and the goodness and almightiness of God? It drives us to His grace and mercy. And as we apprehend His grace and mercy, it drives us back to His holiness. One side of the pendulum swings to the other and back again. That ought to be in our minds every time we pray. That ought to be in our minds every time we live our lives that we would... Reflect on those things at the very beginning as we open our hearts to pray to our Heavenly Father. That we would, be, we would be overwhelmed with who He is and His attributes and His holiness. And we would be overwhelmed with His grace to us in the gospel. Back and forth, back and forth in our prayers and in our lives. But a second and final way that we can also try to do this in a better way. To hallow God's name. Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, whatever you, whatever you, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Do all to the hallowing of God's name, we could say. In other words, whatever you do in your vocations as a student, as a parent, as a child, when you go to the store, when you're driving on the road, whatever you do, everything that you do, you can hallow the Lord. That means when you go to work tomorrow, you go with a sense of the fact that God's called you to that place at that time to be involved in whatever he's giving you to do, and you do it, why? For his glory. You hallow his name by being faithful in your vocation. You hallow his name by being a parent who is seeking to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You're doing it as a child who is called to obey your parents and to love your parents and to help your parents. No matter what it is you do, God is calling you to hallow his name in all things. We need to cultivate our knowledge and our understanding and our commitment to both things, God's holiness and his grace to all of who God is. And as we do that, we'll begin to hallow his name, uh, hallow his name more and more. First and foremost, we'll stop hallowing other things more than God, even good things, even things that he's given to us. Let's pray together. Our Father, again, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus giving us this model of prayer. 
We thank you that you have given it to us in such a way that we can read it and understand it, and we thank you that you give us the privilege of hallowing your name. But we, hear, we pray that you would hear our prayer this morning, that above all things, Father, we pray that you would hallow your name through us. We pray that you would receive the glory and the honor and all of, uh, uh, all of the, the honor that you so deserve as the creator of the universe. And we are privileged and we are thankful that you would use us to that end. And so, Father, do that this week. Whatever we do, help us to hallow your name. Help us to do it with joy. And we pray that you would do it to build up your church and your kingdom in this place. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.